The reading today is from Revelation chapter 2, verses 18 to 29, to the church in Thyatira. To the angel of the church in Thyatira, write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to you, I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets. I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my father. I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of God. Thanks be to him. Thank you. Thank you, Charmian. Let's pray as we begin. So, Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for uh, this particular word for us today. And, Lord, we pray that uh, you would soften our hearts to learn from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we are currently in a series in the book of Revelation, looking at uh, the seven churches that uh, the resurrected Jesus, the ascended Jesus, speaks to, writes to. Uh, John, the apostle John, was in, uh, on the island of Patmos, where he received this incredible revelation. And as he's receiving it, uh, he, he writes frantically, and you can imagine these letters getting sent around the churches. All the churches are in Asia Minor, 
or in modern-day Turkey. And in fact, Thyatira was one of the least significant of the churches. So John's letters, you can imagine the postman's round, uh, starts in Ephesus, which is on the southwest of Turkey, and the postman slowly goes up the coast, up north, and then off to the east as he delivers these letters. So he's already sort of veering east as we get to Thyatira. For those of you who enjoy structure in talks, I've got one for you. Here's the structure. We're going to start off by um, being turned outwards. Then we're going to um, turn inwards. Then we'll turn around. In fact, the turning around is going to be a 180-degree turn rather than a 360. And then finally, we're going to turn upwards. Now, I'm sure you've probably been to a few funerals. Um, I have two. And I get to see what happens before the funeral sometimes. I get to spend time with families when they're in a place of grief and ask children quite often for their favorite memories of their parents who's just died. And it's shocking sometimes to hear that some children at that stage literally don't have a good memory to share. But equally amazing is the fact that when you get into the funeral and you hear people speaking of the deceased, you find out, in fact, they've done so much good in the world, and their friends just lavish them with praise. I've never been to a funeral where someone stood up and said, I'm sorry to say it, but he's been an absolute bastard, and then stood and then sat down. That, that just doesn't happen. And in fact, I think I always leave funerals thinking, wow, what an incredible person. I wish that I could have known them better when they were still alive on this earth. And in fact, I think that's what you would expect at funerals, because we're told in the Bible that we as human beings are made in God's image. We're image bearers of God. And so therefore, the good that you find in God, you expect to see uh, lived out amongst his creation. You would also expect to see that amongst people uh, who, who, who have given their lives to following Jesus and, and living their lives uh, in accordance with him. And again, you won't be disappointed. I was reading um, a secular atheist recently who spoke about giving to charities. And he said that Christians outdo non-Christians in giving to both secular charities that have nothing to do with the gospel, but then obviously also um, to gospel-related ministries. As Christians, we outdo those who don't believe, even in giving to secular charities. And if the wallet is the last thing to be converted, then I think that is a sure sign of Christians being outward-focused, focused on others rather than themselves. And if that's true of Christians, you'll find it's true of Thyatira as well. This is a people who are turned outwards. So they receive incredible compliments. Have a look at, at verse 19. Uh, the risen Lord says, He knows their deeds. And bear in mind, this is one whose eyes are like blazing fire. God's eyes are able to see what's done in secret as well as public. And he says, I know your deeds. He commends them on what they do. Then he speaks of their love. 
uh, Ephesus, the first church to be addressed, was one that was doing a huge amount of good, but it wasn't doing it out of a place of overflowing love. But for Thyatira, he says, I know your love, which is where those deeds come from. He says, I know your faith. So often in the Bible, faith uh, can easily be translated as faithfulness. It's an active faith. It's what we do and say based on our trust in Jesus. And they're commended for their faithfulness, putting God first in their lives. He speaks of their service. In the New Testament, we see uh, the deacons serving and helping uh, the widows and the orphans, those who are in desperate need in society, maybe the bottom of the pecking order. He says to the church in Thyatira, you're doing an amazing job in the area of service. He commends their perseverance then. This is a people who are under constant pressure from culture and society at large. I mean, if we think that we have it bad at the moment, these guys had it much worse. So easily they can be persecuted and prosecuted, pulled before judges and even executed. But under all of this, this is a church that is persevering. And then he says they're doing more than they did at first. The, the pastor, theologian Tim Keller in the States, speaks about the potential aims of a church. And he says a church might aim to be successful. But the problem with aiming to be successful is we can get taken up with the outward appearance of the church. He says others have... Uh, rejected this idea of aiming for success and, ex- and, and, and in, in fact have gone the other way and aimed uh, just to be faithful. But the problem with being faithful, aiming just to be faithful, is that we belittle our God who is able to achieve so much. Rather, he suggests that our aim should be to be fruitful because as Christians and a group of Christians together, the church live together and, um, and live by the standards of their God and rely on God and the Holy Spirit. We should expect uh, to see growth in fruit. And I think that, in fact, is what we find in this church. This is a church that's fruitful, um, that's doing more than it did before, that is growing. And so this is amazing. This is a great church, and there's so much to commend this church for in its obedience. But then he carries on in verse uh, 20 by saying, some people, if you like, are turned inwards. St. Augustine, back in the 4th century, I believe, coined this phrase of incurvitus in say. He said that sin is like a person being turned in on themselves. Luther continued this to say that that God is a giver who gives the most incredible gifts. But sin looks like using those gifts for our own personal gratification rather than to glorify the giver who has given us these gifts. And so here in this passage, we find two gifts that God gives his people, sex and food. 
But the people in Thyatira, some of them have been using God's gifts, not in the plan that he has given them, but rather for their own personal gratification. They've turned in on themselves. And when we use our gifts for our own gratification, it is the ego that rules. It's the I. It's the me. It's the one who always says in any situation, but what about me? How can I gain out of this? Rather than glorifying the giver and serving those around us, loving our neighbor as we have been loved by our God. It's a bit like a Christmas when a child is given the most incredible Playmobil uh, space rocket. And he takes this and his dad helps him put it all together while at their holiday house. And he plays with it for a little while, but very soon forgets it. And in fact, when a fight breaks out with his brother, this Playmobil space rocket gets trampled into the fireplace and forgotten forever. That's sometimes how we treat the gifts that God has given us. And in treating those gifts so badly, we disrespect the giver. So we've started with uh, turned outwards, uh, then we turn inwards, and finally, uh, or sorry, thirdly, we need to turn around. Have a look at verses 21 to 23. In this passage, the risen Lord Jesus tells these people to repent. And repenting literally means turning around, doing a 180-degree turn, turning away from living for ourselves and turning to living for God. And for some of us, it might be a pretty quick turn. It might be like Matthew Thorne in his Aston Martin, which he used to own, believe it or not, uh, before Charlotte was born, uh, out in southern Germany or Austria, where he was with Iona, uh, enjoying their time together, realizing that they'd gone the wrong way on an incredible mountain pass and yanking up that handbrake and flipping around a quick 180 to make it back to the hotel in time for supper. Uh, It might be a turn that's as quick as that. Or it might be uh, like an Airbus A380 turning around in the sky, a much slower turn, or maybe even an oil tanker. And in this passage, we, we get the sense that God, in his mercy and his grace, gives us time. He says in verse 21, I have given her time to repent. He gives people time to repent. But we also find out from this passage that judgment is coming, and therefore that time that he gives us is not unlimited. We find out that judgment as well starts for the inside of the church. These people in Thyatira who call to live to this high moral standard are those inside the church. He isn't calling those outside the church to be like that, but rather those who've given their lives to him and therefore should be conformed uh, to his likeness. It's the Christians who are called to live distinct lives. And you might also ask some questions from this verse that we find out in at the end of verse 23. We are told, I will repay each of you according to your deeds. You, you might ask, how is this uh, a re- repayment for deeds consistent with a 
with, with a God of grace and mercy, um, one who saves us by grace. And I think we find an answer in here as well. You see, we're, we're saved by grace, which is God's riches, if you like, at Christ's expense. And Christ's expense is the cross. Jesus died on the cross. And in dying on the cross, he offers us an exchange. He says, will you take my perfect life as a gift? And in exchange, give me your life. And if your life is anything like mine, uh, it's, it's far from perfect. And he asks for our imperfect lives. And he says, I, I died for that on the cross. I want to take what's yours onto me. And in exchange, you get my perfect life. And this happens, this grace happens through faith, through trusting him and trusting that he died for us. But we find out in this passage that even though that is true and uh, it is definitely there that we are judged according to our deeds, as Thyatira was as well. And the reason for being judged according to our deeds is if we are someone who has said to God, you take my filthy life, I want to accept your perfect life. The Holy Spirit at that time comes and, and fills us up and gives us the power to be more like Christ and to grow in his likeness daily. And as a result, you should see evidence of that saving faith, evidence of that grace, and that is a life that has been changed. So we've uh, seen the people who turned outwards, uh, some turned inwards. Um, they've been called to turn around, and finally we turn upwards in verses 24 to 29. In verse 24, the people are told to hold on tight. Um, hold on tight uh, to her teaching. Sorry, do not hold on to her teaching. Um, where am I going? So to the rest of you, I say in Thyatira, you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have. Hold on to what you have. And what do these people in Thyatira have? They have the risen Lord Jesus who they're living for. And so we're called to hold on tight to what we have. Hold on tight to Jesus. And he carries on to say, until I come. Hope in the church is forward-looking. We look back to the cross and what he did for us. And therefore, we're able to look forward in hope to what is coming next and to wait for him until he comes. And then we're told in verse 26 that in eternity, on the new earth, we are to be given authority to rule. Isn't this just an incredible picture? So we find biblically that the Father hands over rule and authority to the Son, and then the Son in the new earth, the new creation, hands it across to the church, giving the church um, authority to rule. And we rule with the morning star thus, uh, verse 28. The morning star 
is Christ himself who's been given for us. And it is in him and through him that we live for him. So, in conclusion, to say that there is hope for us. There is hope where we look um, to a community, and I think St. Michael's is one of these, that is turned outwards in credible acts and service and deeds and faithfulness. But there are still places in our lives, potentially, where we are curved in on ourselves, we're turned inwards. And in those places, the risen Lord Jesus calls us to turn around, to do a 180, and to repent, stop living for ourselves, and to live for him. And then finally, we turn upwards, holding on to the one who we have, holding on to Christ, holding on into the future with hope that he will come again. And our hope isn't just for this earth and this life, but it's for renewed earth and a life that is eternal, that starts when we put our faith in him and continues forever and ever in him. So let's pray.